Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. I'm Andy Mitten. This podcast is brought to you in association with Betfred. Fred Doan opened his first shop in Salford in 1967. We're busy working on the next issue of United We Stand. Uh, we thought it would be a quiet week, but this is Manchester United. There's no such thing. So we've got an exclusive <laughs> interview with John Murter in there. Loads of original copy content. If you subscribed last December, your sub ran out on the last issue. So please do renew over the weekend. This is the podcast, not the printed magazine, and I'm delighted to welcome Jim O'Neill, Lord Jim O'Neill, to the podcast. He's been on here before, but given events this week with Manchester United and the announcement from the Glazer family, we thought he would be the right guest to have. Thanks for joining us, Jim. My pleasure, Andy. Thanks for having me on. What did you make of the news this week? We'd only been speaking last week, hadn't we? Wondering (laughs) whether anything was going to happen from the Glazer family that... Effectively, they will consider selling up uh, Manchester United. That's uh, my interpretation. Is the uh, twenty-four hours after the statement? I think indeed they want to sell. Hmm. Um, I think it's the culmination of a number of reasonably obvious, important things. Uh, I think the failure of the European Super League idea was a blow to them. Uh, the reawakening of the fan, uh, the depth of the fan opposition and everything that went with it um, was also something that affected them. Um, I think the surprise at the price in which the owners of Chelsea paid to acquire them probably has had a significant impact I suspect the owners think that the Chelsea buyers overpaid. But like the Liverpool owners, therefore, believe that United should have a premium to Chelsea. So why not try and find the same potential buyers? Uh, The Liverpool really affected them. Um, And then I think possibly... The weakness in global stock markets, particularly um, that that's affected the the big technology stocks and the interplay between technology and media, might have affected them too. Um, and then, of course, underlying all of it, there has been probably a family dispute for some years about about whether to keep owning it or not. So some of the Glazer siblings thinking, this is not worth it, let's cash out now, we'll make vast profits, and others saying, on the contrary, this remains a cash cow. Uh, I think that was the clear split that emerged from the various stories that are media throughout 2022. I think they explored trying to do a so-called minority sale. In fact, as you and I have talked about before, I think on and off they've tried to do that for probably four years on the quiet, but they couldn't find anybody that would be prepared to take a minority stake without any real power. Um, And so the four that were eager has gradually worn down the opposition of effectively Avi and Joel, and we are where we are with this statement. What should Manchester United fans 
think of this statement? They'll look to you as someone with financial expertise, <laughs> headed up huge companies like, like Goldman Sachs, and they'd want your judgment on it. Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing I'd like to say, Andy, in that regard is, I think this is another important moment for, for the fans and the fan groups. People like yourself, the guys at Must, uh, other fan representatives, to continue to make their voice heard about what is so special and unique about the privilege of earning United. Um, and in the sort of spirit of careful what you wish for, whilst, of course, so many, if not virtually every serious United fan wants to see different owners. Um, it's just as important that whoever it is that ends up owning United uh, has a better purpose and doesn't want to be using so much leverage as the current ones. And I wouldn't be surprised if the people that have been hired uh, to try and sell United um, are essentially going to try and find the biggest buyer um, but many of them and including perhaps the people that have been tasked to sell don't really still appreciate what the hot seat of only Manchester United is probably like and this company that have been tasked are Rain yeah. and they were the people who went out to market to try and find potential buyers for Chelsea correct and I think that Linked to what I said earlier, I think the fact that Rain sold Chelsea and managed to effectively hold some kind of auction process with such high prices is something that is pretty relevant as to why the Glazers chose. Could another highly leveraged buyout take place to take control of Manchester United? Could we see a repeat of what we saw in 2005? I hope not. Um, because of the staggering appeal of United's global brand, I wouldn't be surprised if some people try. Uh, but this is, of course, why I say uh, your voice um, and the voice of all the big fan groups, must especially, uh, is so important in trying to make it clear that such a potential buyer would, would face the same opposition um, that we've experienced on and off or throughout the 17 years of Glazer ownership. What is the best the fans could hope for? What, what would a good takeover look like? I've been racking my mind repeatedly the past 24 hours and I guess my honest answer is I'm not sure given the money. Um, at one extreme, I, I find my mind thinking that perhaps some publicly quoted, genuinely publicly quoted company, that any individual or any institutional investor could be shareholder of, in a way, in the circumstances, might be actually the best because any individual fan could buy those shares. And in that sense, it would be democratic. 
Um, in that spirit, obviously, some kind of modern version of the so-called Red Knights, 12 years later, would conceptually be wonderful, but speaking in the circumstances and the reality of the day, I think the likelihood of being able to do that is very, very low. Um, and therefore, away from that, the choice is uh, somebody that will just have a huge amount of cash both to acquire it, rebuild Old Trafford, um, rebuild the training ground and all the rest of it. But that kind of buyer would probably have to be somebody the fans would have to, let's just say, not be too concerned about some of the uh, social issues that go with such a buyer. Um, or otherwise, it's going to boil down to somebody with leverage. Uh, what, what I would say, um, at least at the start of this process, I can't imagine why many truly successful, wealthy business people are likely to want to pay the kind of price that Rain are going to try and get. Why? Doesn't, doesn't make sense. Because I can't see... Um, the, the next 20 years is going to be like the past 20 years in terms of the external circumstances in which football participates. Um, we've had any, this enormous growth in um, TV and other media-related revenues. And whilst there is a scenario where Amazon Prime or Apple TV or Disney or somebody like this sort of takes over the you know the showing of the top club football in Europe and the UK you know it's a very tricky path and there's a good chance that will never happen and without that sort of thing I'm not sure where the huge revenue growth comes from people said similar to me 20 30 years ago Jim yeah no, it could be true they could said true. the bubble's gonna burst it's about to burst it's about to burst and each TV contract got bigger and bigger and bigger. I know there's been times when it has plateaued. Attendances continue to rise. We're seeing increased interest in football. There are still huge, relatively untapped markets, like in the United States, like in India. I do a lot of work for the Indian market, 1.2 billion yeah. people. Yeah. It could still grow. I mean, all of that is, 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 is true. As I said, that there is a case for saying that and the optimistic case for, an, for a future owner has to be completely related to that optimistic case. But because of the passage of time uh, and, and probably reflecting my own professional, so-called professional background, um, you know, we're in a we're in an era now where interest rates are obviously rising around the world, uh, and much of the past twenty years has been an environment where interest rates have been going down, and actually for a lot of the time close to zero. Um, and you know, being optimistic about markets and circumstances of so-called growth companies is a lot easier when interest rates aren't going up. 
So, and of course, football has shown this repeated ability. The commerciality of football has shown this repeated ability to be divorced from the real world. But it can't go on forever. And it would be a trophy asset. If we go back 50 years... It oh, there's, was, no, there's no two ways about that. There's yeah. no two ways about that. 50 years ago, it was the local scrap dealer who wanted the ego of going into the director's box with his lover, and it just moved on to a global scale, didn't it? There's no two ways about it. Um, you know, I, I, I go back to 20 years ago when uh, I first dreamt up this, this phrase or acronym that's characterised my professional life, so, so-called BRICS, for the, the rise of Brazil, Russia, India and China. And it became this enormous thing in globalised business, and I, I once joked to uh, Ed Woodward, actually, that, that Manchester United are probably the best BRICS content player on the planet. And the only other couple of times I ever saw him, not so long after that, he would play it back to me saying how right that was. You know, and United, there's nothing like it. United's brand is off the scale compared with any other sporting thing in the world. No two ways about that. Just in those four countries mentioned, there's huge scope for growth. Brazil, over 200 million people. The Premier League's big there. There are more Brazilian internationals yeah. living in Manchester than in Brazil. Russia, Manchester United, are surpri- <laughs> surprisingly big there. India, we've spoke about. China. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. People talk yeah. up the support there. There's still massive potential for growth. Let's talk about some of the potential people who might take over. So Jim Ratcliffe is a name that gets mentioned... <laughs> A lot. Um, I've spoke to you about him in the past. Yeah. On one level, it seems yeah. working class Manchester lad um, went on to become the most wealthy person in the United Kingdom. Supported United as a kid. Yeah. Bizarrely, bizarrely changed to Chelsea. I need to have a word with him about that if I ever get to see him. And <laughs> and has been very successful in business. Very ruthless as well. You probably don't get to his level by yeah. being a kindly benefactor. Um, I went to his club at Nice last year. I was very impressed, actually, by what I saw going on there. Uh, he spoke to the Glazers. He spoke very well of them. Uh, there might be a difference of opinion yeah. there, but I've never actually met them because they don't communicate with anybody. Surely he would be the no-brainer. He's got the money, or is it even a stretch for him? So, uh, he's a pretty savvy guy, and he's obviously remarkably successful and he's uh, shown an interest and so I'm how do I put it I'm pretty sure that Jim a week ago Jim thought that ship had sailed and uh, as I believe he's said publicly that actually they've decided they want to concentrate on building up Nice to be a top French club that can participate at the highest levels in Europe. Um, but that was because partially he didn't think the owners wanted to sell. So I wouldn't be surprised if he had another go. But um, I think he is such a tough, savvy business guy, he would be amongst those that I think won't go chasing the price. Okay. Um, nice are ninth in Ligue 1 <laughs> below Lorient from Brittany 
there. I said that I went there. He's got I, a bit of work to do there, then. Huh? Well, when I was there, I thought this is a team going for to, to challenge PSG. I really did. The infrastructure's there. There's a cachet with the location of it. It was recruiting smartly. Their whole uh, mission statement was really impressive. I was surprised that Nice um, are very proud of their working class fans. It wasn't a, a, a city I associated with that, but they're absolutely right with that. Put the ninth in the table. That's not very good. He's been more successful with um, with Ineos. What What about you? What about the two gyms? You You led the the Red Knights last time. You've got extensive <laughs> supposedly, experience. Yeah. Supposedly, allegedly. Uh, would you be interested? You know, I, I think as I've taught you in the circumstances before, I, I've become a passionate believer of what I would call profit with purpose. And so I wouldn't want to be in the middle of a modern version of the so-called Red Knights if it was part of this money circus where where the only way of being successful is to just pay, try and pay some crazy price. And I would quickly add that, you know, some, sometimes these amounts people talk about and then don't fully comprehend the scale of what's being talked about. And so there, there are very few people that were part of that group with me that would want to devote such a degree of their wealth to something at this stage and this probable price. But, but, I quickly add, in the event that the circus moves away from the sort of optimistic edge of what the owners and Rain would want, it wouldn't be impossible if, if, if more realistic prices came into the realm of discussion. Can you juggle a ball better than Michael Knighton? <laughs> uh, there was a day where I might have been able to, but I'm getting on a bit, mate. Would you continue Got to a dodgy wear, knee. Would you continue to wear your United We Stand Made in Manchester t-shirt if you were to... Uh, Get into a future position. I'm actually going off um, to Senegal tomorrow um, to to visit a member of to visit my daughter who's working there, and I'm taking it with me, and I'm hoping to wear it proudly. Made on the banks of the River Irwell. Can anybody succeed here? You've got Newcastle United, you've got Manchester City, you've got PSG. How can anyone Mm. go head to head? with a state-funded football club. It, it, it's impossible, no? I think it's really tricky. Uh, that that realisation might have played a role uh, both for the Liverpool owners and the United owners in trying to sell. But there's only a certain limited number of Gulf countries. And despite what you said about China and Russia before... Another important part why I think some of these price expectations are a bit in cloud cuckoo land. You know, 12 years ago, there was Chinese buyers, Russian buyers. They don't, they're not allowed to play anymore. So you're talking basically Middle Eastern type 
sovereign wealth or various characters from the United States, effectively. How big a factor do you think the required investment into Old Trafford redevelopment or new stadium is? That, that's going to cost hundreds of millions, if not um, tick into a billion. I think I think a billion is something you'd have to... I mean, I, you know, I'm no architect or structural engineer, but based on what I've read from people that understand these things, the higher end of what you're saying is the ballpark. Got some questions from United We Stand readers who go on our website, udwsonline.com. I'll try and pick out the serious ones rather than the ones <laughs> asking you about your favourite bread and, and, and stuff like that. Um, Red Rafenic, he talks about... Um, this fit and proper ownership test it, 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 if it, is it bollocks he says look at City being owned by Thai Chinese dictators um, would, it, would you and your financial friends be prepared to do independent due diligence on behalf of the fans interest that would mean with any prospective owner if that meant fees being required it could be um, funded by the fan groups uh, I think that's a really good a really good suggestion and I'm glad it's one of the questions um, the day before we're having this chat I was talking at uh, a Northern Powerhouse event actually at the the UA92 the, the University for um, non-academics or for skills based universities that Gary Neville and Sean Anstey set up in tra- very close to the cricket ground and uh, at the end of it Lucy Powell MP for Manchester to her credit, uh, pointed out the need for for stronger regulatory control, um, and it seems to me that the approach to selling United is assuming that there will be no regulator with any teeth uh, and no strong governance over the fit and proper persons, but that might be a questionable assumption too. And I think that whoever the person that asked this question on should should stick to pursuing, with your help, this path. It's really important. Okay. Paul Taylor wants to know, what would happen with the existing debt in a purchase? The owner would be expected to pay it off or renegotiate it. Is state billionaire ownership the only future for a club like United, or is there another way of doing it by, while still being competitive? Is another question. I mean, everything else unchanged, as I, as I just said. This is partly why I think the owners want to sell, because trying to compete with City and possibly with Newcastle and certainly with the PSG type standard on the European level is just really hard. Um, but that is assuming all the factors of the past 20 years carry on growing and that there isn't a new tougher regulatory body or force. Um, and I suspect if we were to have a Labour government in two years' time, the, the probability of a tougher regulator governing at least English football would be higher. Matt Ford, who writes a lot about German football, 
He said, with the idea of a major, majority supporter control being utopian, an ideal scenario for many Reds would be a majority owner cons stroke consortium which would willingly concede some sort of minority stake to fans by a must proposed share fan scheme, for example. Is such a pro proposal at all feasible with buyers at this sort of level? Is Jim aware of any scenarios in which potential buyers in this ballpark would be willing to do that or even would be to see that sort of thing as advantageous to the brand? Or would anyone who purchases Manchester United for four to six billion inevitably want 100% dict dictatorial control? This is also, you've got some fantastic readers. This is also a brilliant question. Um, I could spend ages answering it, but my quickest and strongest answer is, I hope that the person that emerges at the top of the pack at the main auction is exactly the savviest one that wants to truly embrace a big role for the fans and some fan ownership. And certainly, um, going back to 12 years ago and the Red Knights, a couple of big names, including, I guess I'll say it, you know, for a brief while, the Qataris, before they decided to buy PSG, did flirt with those kind of conversations with me. And I think that would be very savvy. But, you know, a lot of a lot of others will be like, well, I'm spending all that money, I'm having 100% control. You know, you say we've got some savvy readers and we're very proud of United We Stand and the, the effort that goes into it. With that in mind, here's the next question from Remo. Did Jim learn to swim at Sharston Baths? Blinking it. Yes, I did. I'm not ever going to tell you the other questions he's asked. When did you last have a pint in the horse and farrier? Uh, oh my, I'm afraid to say probably about four years ago. What do you think of the proposed cycle lane on the A34 Kingsway between Cheadle Royal and Gatley? <laughs> I've got to have serious conversations with these type of people. Uh... Pass. Don't use it enough to have a strong view, but I do know that why it's great for people to have the right feeling of safety as cyclists, uh, a lot more thought needs to be put into exactly where they're going because the, the disruption it causes for people trying to use vehicles can often be chaos. Duncan Q wants to know, of this money, if the clubs are sold, what percentage actually goes into the UK economy or taxes? Or will United say or benefit the Glazers and the US stock market? It seems like a leaky financial bucket that the UK are missing out on, despite driving the value increase. I mean, it will benefit the owners. Mm. Plain and simple. And that's why they're doing it. I'm not a fan of, of their style of ownership, but in some ways it's inspired what they did, no? Well, they've proven a lot of people wrong. In what um, way? Well, I think when they, they acquired United, um, they were a bit of an unknown force. Um, I remember at the time the, the, the board that United had 
didn't think they were particularly serious at first. They couldn't really understand who these strange characters were because all the talk was about the so-called Irish Mafia. Um, and then I was still active at Goldman at the time and we, of course, had an enormous number of US clients. And I, I met some big US sports owners and many of them didn't really know who they were. Chicago. The biggest brand in football and made a lot of money. Yeah. I met David Gill in Chicago in 2004. We interviewed him for United We Stand and he said they were serious sports owners, but then he would have said that, wouldn't he? He would have hardly talked <laughs> down his potential future bosses. Uh, that's probably right. What sort of time scale would, be, would we be looking at on something like this? And if no potential suitors came to market, is there the possibility that things just carry on with the Glazers in charge? Or do you think going public with a statement like this, if not desperate, shows that they need to get out? Um, three things about that. First of all, I don't think it's necessarily something that will end quickly. If there's a clever way of looking at what they're trying to do and the way Rain are trying to do it, they will try to suss out whoever there is that's vaguely credible as a possible purchaser. Um, and so there's no rush as such. It's not like United are not going to play. So my guess is certainly not until the new year. Second thing, however, linked to some of the tone of how we've discussed it, it, it is possible that despite this sort of tech media related tone of how the, the rain guys are probably going to try and position it, it is possible that nobody will want to go anywhere near the sorts of money that are being talked about. In which case, that means... Did you know that Google currently owns 92% of the global search engine market? This means almost everyone who's looking for a product or a service is Googling it. If you have a business, physical or online, it's critical for you to have presence on Google search. But doing your own Google ads is complicated, confusing, can take up to 20 hours a week to do it effectively. Paying someone's not an option because it's too expensive, so that leaves you as a business owner in a bit of a pickle. But don't stress, this is the exact problem that AdBot solves. AdBot does your Google Ads for you. AdBot does this using AI and machine learning, which takes over the day-to-day -day management of running your Google Ads campaigns. It's like outsourcing your Google Ads to a bot. Because the bots work 24-7, seven days a week, your performance is 100% more effective than doing it yourself or getting someone to do it for you. Stephen Bartlett once said, being selective about how you spend your time is a sign of self-respect. So don't waste your time doing Google Ads admin. Your time is better spent focusing on what will grow your business. Some features and benefits about the AdBot product is well you can auto automate your google ads in under 10 minutes it's like your google ads is on autopilot you spend less than 30 minutes a week ranking searches to help your bot learn it saves you up to 75 hours a month it's easy to use anyone can do it you don't have to be an expert at google ads digital marketing or even advertising your grandma could do it your ad book works all the time it's 100 percent more effective than you doing it or someone doing it for you and we're a trusted Google certified partner. So outsource your Google ads to a bot. Why is it great? Well, 
small, medium businesses don't have the time to sit there and figure it all out. The AdBot fee consists of two parts. A platform fee is just £7, $9 for the cheapest plan and whatever you want to spend on Google Ads. That's the media fee. So we're offering United We Stand listeners an exclusive three months with no platform service. So this is for our customers only for the cost of Google Ads. You can decide your own spend and the promo applies to that. You can go to www.myadbot.com that's M-Y-A-D-B-O-T dot com and the promotional code is United. You're not going to forget that one. So go to myadbot.com and look at the promotional code which is United. Have a look at it. We think that it can work for you. Adbots Automation gets you the highest click-through rate for the lowest cost per click on small budgets and is 100% more effective than a human. Something like an owner that would support true fan-based control or, or significant influence rather than control or some kind of IPO and a, a truly one single share class publicly quoted stock would be the next likely thing in my opinion and probably more desirable or um, they have to carry on but completely different owners in their style than how they've been I think there's there's no way back to the glazer ownership of the past 17 years you'd know better than me in fact, you said before, the Glazers rarely say anything. And I think just on the number of words in that statement, biggest has probably ever been, even compared to when they bought it. Um, and you can't go back from that very easily. 346 words. Is that what it is? Which is about 340 <laughs> words more than the Cristiano Ronaldo statement which preceded it. Exactly. Um, I think the idea of United fans buying shares definitely... Uh, would 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 appeal. Um, I've got some reservations with fan ownership now because I've seen how Barcelona works and yeah, humans yeah. get sidelined by egos and presidents get voted in on promises they can't keep. Yeah, um, yeah all very valid. Yeah, and fans are just buy, 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 buy. And I think if you listen to fans, certainly online, Manchester United would have no players left within a month because it'd sell them all after a bad game. So there needs to be football people in there, I suppose is my point. Um, like there was in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian Story Lees says, would Jim O'Neill be in favour of United fans having the same powers uh, that the Chelsea pitch owners have, for example, to uh, to protect Old Trafford from, from carpet baggers um, if the economics of fan ownership having a significant percentage of shares is either unworkable or unaffordable? Listen, I think, as I said right at the start, Andy, I think there is a window here for yourselves um, and other fan groups to really have a powerful voice as to what it is they they would expect of a better owner or a, a, a new different glazer ownership. Um, I really do, and that that's. That's something I'm really eager to help you guys push. Uh, and whether that's something like the pitch owners at Chelsea, 
or something much broader in terms of some kind of fan-based rights over decisions being made for the interests of the club? I don't know, but I think you guys need to find the right way of making that clear. And what I think we'll come up against, Jim, is ego. I see it all the time. I see people come in and call themselves fans of a club. I'm a huge Man United fan. And you've never seen these people before in your life. And I saw it (laughs) at Chelsea. I saw things at Chelsea which I shouldn't have seen because I know somebody. And I just thought, these people have not got a clue what they're doing. And I see it all the time at the club. Big fan, pleasure to work here. And they vanish. As soon as they leave, they vanish. They don't see things in the same way as a match-going fan sees things. They just don't. Because anyone can call themselves a fan of any club. So I think there's a lot of obstacles there, but that is a long way down the line. And I suppose we're just going to have to wait and see what happens now. Well, uh, wait and see. I think that's right, wait and see. But as I keep saying, I'll repeat, use the voice you've got to influence how this may emerge. You know, I think I think the owners have cleverly positioned Rain to think, okay, people don't really want us, we're going, and they're thinking they can just pass it on to whoever gives the right price. But uh, it's pretty clear to me that whoever that potential owner is is going to have to think more carefully in advance about what it will be like when they do actually own United. I know you're busy. We appreciate your time. We've spoken yeah, to you I for go, yeah. 34 minutes now. So I thank you again on behalf of um, the Manchester United fans who will have listened uh, to this. And let's keep in touch. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, mate. And make sure you pack that T-shirt for your trip to Senegal. I, shall, I need to go. I need to find somewhere to swim in mem- memory of Charleston Baths. Thanks for your time. See you, mate. So that is it for this podcast. It'll probably be a few weeks until we do the next one. We will be going to the friendly games in Cadiz and in Seville against uh, Real Betis, but we've got to get the next issue of United We Stand done. I'm just looking at the flat plan here. As I said at the start of the podcast, there's loads of exclusive stuff there, stuff you won't know, stuff you won't see online. Um, in big interviews, there's a focus on Man United's women's team as well. Uh, John Murta's exclusive interview there where he continues to talk about what's going on at the club and that will be out for the women's game at Old Trafford against Villa on the 3rd. Now loads of you subscribed last December I don't know why but you did for 10 issues. Uh, Your subscription ran out last month so you need to renew your subscription. We've held the price and that wasn't easy to do because the cost of paper alone has gone up 65%. So for us to hold it, we need people to buy it. Now, you've been really supportive this year outside the stadium, uh, digital downloads, which you can do as well. But this uh, form of journalism and the time we put into it, we can't give it away for free. So we continue to appreciate the support. We've done the mag, what, 33 years this week since we launched it outside Old Trafford. So if you subscribe, we will post you... The first of 10 uh, issues direct from the printers at the start 
of December. It's not easy for us with the World Cup because we need to sell United. We stand at matches and obviously there aren't any games, so we're trying to work around that. So the deadline for subscriptions is Monday. Go to uwsonline.com. That's our website. We've also got a really busy message board on there on the ground side section. Good United fans, a lot of them travel to games home and away on there, talking on there. And it's sometimes a bit of a, an escape from some of the noise that you see on Twitter. Anyway, that's United We Stand. And this is the United We Stand podcast. Until next time, thank you.